Let's pray. We are before the living God, Lord, and we are before the mind of God, which is your word. It is the truth that is proclaimed here that gives life. The way you persuade our unbelieving hearts, the way you persuade us to trust you is through the preaching of the gospel, which is your word. Father, once again, we recognize that you have been great. You have, been, you have blessed us. You have been so good to us through your word. And I pray for the continual blessing here this morning. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Genesis 15 happens right after Genesis 14. We can do math. And Genesis 14, as we, as we studied last week and two weeks before, in Genesis 14, Abraham experienced a great miracle. Remember? He was going against four strong kings who were unstoppable, right? But when those four kings kidnapped his beloved nephew Lot, Abraham raised up 318 of his servants, and he went out and rescued Lot. It was victory among victories, right? I went to uh, like Korea a few years ago. I go to Korea everywhere, but five years ago I went to Korea and we did this tour. And we stopped by this castle in one of the southern parts of Korea. And that castle is legendary because I think like 1,000 Korean people in the, within the castle defeated, I think, 10,000 Chinese or Japanese army. Yeah! Right? This great miracle. 1,000 people defeated an army of 10,000. Right? Abraham's miracle is greater than that because 318 men defeated an army that is unstoppable. And you would figure, right, after such great miracles, right, after such great victory, Abraham would be all confident and stuff, right? That he'll know for certain that God is on his side and he, can, he has nothing to be afraid. But that's not the case in Genesis 15. How does Genesis 15 start? After these things, after these things means after the great victory that he has experienced, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, your great reward, and your, your, and your reward shall be very great. Interesting. After the miracles of 14, you think Abram will not have nothing to fear. But the very first verse in 15, God is telling Abraham, Abraham, don't be afraid. Why is God telling Abraham, don't be afraid? You know why? Because Abraham is afraid. Interesting, isn't it? After miraculous victory, we start in Genesis chapter 15 with Abraham being afraid. Let's just pause and think about the meaning of these things. Meaning number one. Just because you experience the miracles of God, victorious miracles of God, victorious deliverances of God, those miracles in and of themselves will not help you overcome your natural fear. It won't. I believe God acts mightily. It's true. I, I am blessed to have God answer my prayers seemingly, seemingly every day. For example, like this week's prayer was, for the past two weeks, my prayer was, Lord, teach me how to be a better husband. I have no idea how to be a better husband. Preaching is easy, right? But loving my wife, I, I have no idea. How do I do it? I have no idea. I said, Lord, I have no idea how to do it. You've got to show me how to do it. And you know what happened? He answered. How did he answer? I went to get a haircut yesterday, and my, my hair cutter, cut, cutting person, how, what, what do you call that? A salonist? 
a style, yeah, the sty, my stylist, right? She's a God-fearing woman, right? She's a God-fearing woman. God bless her, so give me a pastor discount, right? Even though she knows I'm a lawyer. Fantastic, right? So, she, and then she's a, and she is a godly woman. Like, you know, the aura of prayer, it just emanates from her. You know how Goku and the Super Saiyan, like, light glows out of him? Aura of prayers grow out of her. And we were talking. Like, like, I'm getting a spiritual counseling when I'm getting my haircut. And, you know, she says something during my, during my haircut. And, the, and more or less she says, you know, husbands should listen to their wives more. I go, Eureka! Eureka! I know it seems like really non, like common sense to y'all. Maybe you're smarter than I am. But I go, yeah, that's right. I should listen to her more. Right? And then I was going back home and I was praying based upon like Psalm 32, was it this morning? Pastor Ujin's call to worship. Not Pastor Ujin's, God's call to worship. But the pastor Pastor Ujin like selected. And I do that. I, oftentimes, like before, on Sunday, Saturday night prayers, I, I meditate upon the passage of the call to worship. And even in that call to worship, God gave me wisdom how to love my wife. Long story short, God gives you direction. God gives you wisdom. God provides for you. God asks, God interviews. God really does these things for his people. He really does. I mean to say, it's true. God intervenes on behalf of his people. But those interventions, are not enough to change an unbelieving heart. Momentarily, you'll praise the Lord. Momentarily, you'll have a clarity of vision of who God is. But those things don't last, right? Fear and doubt oftentimes come back. And this is one of the major themes of the Bible. For example, Eliza, right? He fought a great battle against the prophets of Baal. Right? In 1 Kings 18, 19, he wiped out all those false prophets. Victory! <clears throat> For the very next verse, Jezebel wanted, wanted, wanted him dead. Right? So he, he sends out like, people to kill him. And then as soon as he hears, Eliza, Eliza hears, like, people are coming after him, he runs away and he gets super depressed. He says, Lord, kill me! I want to die. Before great victory, praising God, during trials, Eliza want to die. People of Israel, God delivered them from the hand of Egypt, right? They went through the Red Sea. They saw the Red Sea part. Fantastic. They walked through the Red Sea. But when, they went, but when it got hot and uncomfortable, they start complaining. They say, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. Disciples, they saw Jesus do incredible miracles, things that no man have seen. He saw a man walk on water. He saw a dead man coming back from the grave. He saw Jesus feeding 5,000 people with two, five loaves of two fishes, right? He saw, they saw this miracle. But when Jesus went away, they ran like chicken. Miracles in and of themselves. Do not cure the fear that we have in our hearts. Second thing that we got to understand. Fear, anxiety, is a natural part of fallen humanity. It's true. One of the consequences of being falling away from God is people live a life of fear. Because we are away from God, because we are ignorant of God, we are always afraid. And that's true. 
they say two things motivate people to live. It's desire and fear. And they say, if you look at the stock market index, right, it goes like this, right? This is represented, the, 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 the highs and lows of the stock market is basically desire, fear, desire, fear, desire, fear. We are motivated by desire and fear. Fear is a great part of our existence because we're away from God. And, be, and being surrounded by people who are afraid is, is basically my job. Whether it is my job at work, whether my job here, whether it is uh, counseling my parents, wherever it is, I am surrounded by people who are afraid. Especially being a lawyer. People go to lawyers because they have problems to solve. And because they have problems to solve, they freak out. They yell at me sometimes. They email me, not like, like two or three in the morning. It's just, I am constantly surrounded by people's worries. People are afraid. Even though you're quiet right now, I'm pretty sure in your mind there are things that you're anxious of. There are things that you're worried about. Whether it is a career, whether it is health, whether it is, I don't know, relationships, whatever it is, there are things in your life that you are always constantly worried about. And the problem is, and the issue is, we will always worry, always worry about some, some things. We will never really be afraid of, we will never stop being afraid. Because that's the curse of living in a fallen, fallen humanity. Then the question is, what is the source of all our fear? What is the ultimate source? What is the single source that causes all our fears? And that's what Abraham shows us. Abraham's interaction with God shows us what the underlying cause of all our fears are. So verse 1, God says, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. God himself comes and says, Abraham, I am your shield. What does it mean to be, to be Abraham's shield? It means God will be Abraham's protector. The shield symbol means Protection. Abraham, you will have many obstacles in life, but don't worry, Abraham. I will be your shield. I will be your Captain America's verbatim, verbatim shield. You, I, no one will hurt you because I will be your shield. God himself said that. And God himself said, Abraham, your reward shall be great. You will be tremendously blessed. Right? If God comes to you in a vision and says this, won't that fill your heart with joy? But what's Abraham's response? Verse 2. But! Right? Look, Abraham said, I will be your shield, and your reward will be great. Verse 3, verse 2. But! Abraham said, O Lord God. First of all, Abraham recognizes God, Yahweh is Lord God. Lord means master. Abraham recognizes that God is his master. But, it, but Abraham said, What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. What is Abraham saying? Abraham saying is, Yeah, you tell me, yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You being my child is great, and my reward being great is great. But God, I have no child. I am old. My wife is old. You promised me I will be a father of a great nation. But I'm looking at myself and my situation, and God, I don't think 
I don't know how you're going to do it. Abraham doubted the word of God. God promised Abraham over and over and over again that his offspring will be blessed, that he will be a father of great nations. In, in Genesis chapter 12, the very first call that Abraham received from God, God promised Abraham, Abraham, you will be a father of a great nation, which means Abraham, from Abraham's seed, a great nation would be born. When he goes to Bethel, God promised him, once again, I will give this land to your offspring. Genesis 13, God promises it again. He promises to Abraham over and over and over again, I will bless you, your offspring will be great. But in Genesis 15, verse 2, Abraham doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe the word of God. And that is the source of all our fears. Abraham recognized God was Lord God, right? Intellectually, he knew God was Yahweh and God was his master. He knew intellectually. But his heart did not trust in God's word. And that is why he is afraid. The reason for all our fear is not because we don't recognize God to be God intellectually, but the reason that we're afraid is because we don't trust his word. Tim Keller, God bless him, right? I was listening to his sermons about this, tried to, tried to see what he did with this passage. And this is what he said. He said, you know, he says, all our fears is based on the mistrust of God and mistrust of his word. He says, we are worried because we don't trust God's wisdom, right? We're so worried about things not happening in our lives because we don't trust God's wisdom. You, we are bitter when, pe when people hurt, hurt us because we don't trust in God's justice. When people hurt us, Right? We're bitter and we're angry because, Keller says, because we don't trust that God's going God's gonna, to God's gonna avenge us, that God is a God of justice. You hate yourselves because you don't trust his love and grace. You disobey because you don't trust God or think his promises are better than anything that you want for yourself. The reason for self-hatred, the reason for worry, the reason for doubt, the reason for anxiety is because we do not trust his word. It is perfectly possible to think he is your God and, a and, and yet not trust his word. That's where the fear comes from. Are you afraid this morning? Are you anxious this morning? Is your hair falling out this morning? Are you losing sleep this morning? Are you bitter and depressed this morning? Recognize the fact the underlying cause is because you do not trust his word. Let's, go, let's give an example. Ashley, Matthew 6, please. Let's read Matthew 6 together. Oh, let's not do that. It's long. All right, let's do verse 25, right? Let's do verse 25 together. Let's read it together. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, period. What did Jesus say? 
Do not worry about, do not worry about your life, where you will go, what you will eat, what job you will have. Why? Because God will provide for his people. That's what Jesus is saying, right? Do not be anxious. Do not freak out. Do not worry. Do not lose sleep. Do not let your hair fall off on top of your head. Because God will provide. Just as he is providing for the, for the birds, just like he is clothing the lilies of the field, God will provide. Those are Jesus' words. Do you believe that? Yes, Jesus is your Savior, you say. But do you trust these very words? If you're worried, I'm not rebuking you, I'm just stating the obvious here. It's because you don't believe His words. You don't believe He's going to take care of you. You don't believe He's going to feed you. You don't believe He's going to clothe you. You don't believe He's going to let you live. Further down the verse, let's let's read verse 33 together. Okay, verse 32, here we go. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the days is its own trouble. What version is this? Okay, anyway. Jesus is saying, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, run after what job they're going to have, where they're going to live, what they're going to eat. That's what they're obsessed with. You, Christian, should focus on the kingdom of God. Storing up yourselves, the, the treasures in the kingdom, not treasures of this world. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you trust these words? Are these words true? Are you more obsessed? Is your purpose of life gaining, yearning, striving for the things of the kingdom? Or is it limited to the things of this world, just like the Gentiles? Do you believe these words of Christ? You're worried, we're worried, because we're not focused on the kingdom. We're not focused on the words of Christ. We're focused on our desires and fears. And that is why you're afraid. And that is why I'm afraid. Just like Abraham, we don't trust his word. We say God is our Lord and God, but we don't trust what he says. What does Abraham do? Let's go to verse 3. Abraham, let's go to verse 2 again. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue to be childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. What is Abraham saying? Abraham saying, Because God, you're not giving me a biological offspring, I'm going to make this dude named Eliezer from Damascus, I'm going to designate him as heir of my house. What is Abraham doing? Abraham saying, because I don't trust your, your word, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. For those of you who know, who studied Abraham from Genesis 12 on, Abraham's great fault 
his great sin is his desire to take matters into his own hands. When he starts doubting what God can do for him, he starts to think analytically what he can do, and he takes matters into his own hands. That's what happened to him in Egypt. God said, this land I'm going to give you. Famine came, God go, and Abraham goes, oh shoot, I'm going to go to Egypt. Forget the promises of God, I'm going to go to Egypt. In Egypt, he, the king, king Pharaoh thought Sarah was really pretty. Abraham goes, oh shoot, I've got to like, tell Pharaoh that she's my sister. You see what Abraham does? He takes matter into his own hands when he doesn't trust the word of God. And he doesn't learn because next chapter, next week's Genesis 16 is about Hagar, what he does to Hagar and her son Ishmael. He does a terrible, deserve to be died type of sin against Hagar and Ishmael. Why? Because he's taking matters into his own hands. And that's what you and I do. When we don't trust God's word, we take matters into our own hands. We disobey because we take matters into our own hands. When you worry, you become wiser than God. Your choices become much more clear than God's choices. You know exactly what to do compared to God. When you don't trust his word. And I'm not just preaching against to you. By the way, when I'm yelling at you, I'm just also yelling at myself. I do the same thing, you know? Two years ago, maybe you know, two years ago, my, the company that I used to work for, they said, you're going to get laid off in six months. Right? The company that I thought I'm going to work forever, is gonna, they, they're going to lay me off in six months. So what did good old Holy Pastor Jay do when, he, when Holy Pastor Jay heard that he's going to get laid off? Did he go to his prayer chamber and be on his knees and pray to God? No, he didn't. Holy Pastor Jay started freaking out, right? I was severely depressed for one, so I heard, I heard the news on Wednesday. Wednesday and Thursday, I was depressed. And you know what I do when I go depressed? I go Amazon Prime. Netflix, it's not strong enough. You go Amazon Prime with the really bad movies, right? And then on Thursday afternoon, you get up and what do you do? You don't go to work because you're depressed. You start blasting your resume to the stratosphere. Right? I applied to everywhere, every job. I told you this, right? I applied a job in Georgia. I applied a job in Connecticut. I applied a job anywhere. And you say, are you going to leave me? Yeah, I was going to leave you. Because I was freaking out. Right? Did I pray for three days? No. I took matters into my own hands. I did. But by the grace of God, he says, snap out of it. And I snapped out of it. You know how I snapped out of it? I preached to you and I worshiped with you. I remember that weekend was the ministry servants leaders weekend where all, everyone came to my house and we discussed the things about ministry. Just by being near y'all, put my mind in the same spot again. But my natural inclination and your natural inclination, when things do not go your way, is to take matter into your own hands. And I'm telling you, when you take matters into your own hands, it's not going to go well for you. I don't know whether I should do this, but I'll do it. Maybe some of you are in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. 
And the reason why you can't get out of it, maybe, is because you think that if you say, if you give up this relationship, that you're not going to find another relationship. That if this person that, you're, that, that you are in a relationship with, if that person leaves you, then that's it. So you're afraid that leaving this person, leaving this person, will cause you a lifetime of loneliness. You're afraid. So you take matter into your own hands, and therefore you stay in a relationship that you know that is not right. That's what we do, you know? We're, like, we're exactly like Abraham. So what does God do to Abraham? Abraham takes matter into his own hands. He says, I'm going to give this my heir to this guy. What does God do? Does God say, Abraham, I told you over and over and over again that, you, that your offspring, I'm going to bless your offspring. Why don't you listen? Just, ugh. Don't tell my wife this, but like when my wife teaches my daughter violin, it's like World War III. Because my daughter doesn't listen to my wife when she tells, tells her what to do. And my daughter makes this mistake over and over and over again. To me, I don't know because I'm musically deaf. Sounds great to me. My wife says, no, that's not it. Right? And there, there, there's crying. And there's like, I'm hug, I hug her. It's, like, it's an ugly mess, basically, practicing in my house. When we don't, when the people that we love don't listen to us, even though we tell them over and over and over again, we get frustrated. We yell at them. That's why you can never really teach your wife or spouse how to drive, right? Does God do that to Abram? No. What does God do? God ministers to Abram. Look, look what, what does God do? Let's, let's look at verse 4. Verse 4, God said, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Verse 5, And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number, number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. God is telling Abraham the same thing over and over and over again. But rather than getting angry at Abraham, what does God do? God ministers to Abraham. Abraham is still unbelieving, but rather than yelling at him for unbelieving, God ministers to him. What type of ministry is God doing to Abraham? Verse 4. God corrects him. Abraham said, Eliezer is going to be my heir. God's gonna, God said, no, he's not. You're all, you're, uh, uh, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. God says, Abraham, Abraham, you're wrong. Eliezer is not going to be your heir. Your, your own flesh and blood is going to be your heir. How does God minister to his people? Number one, God corrects his people. The way God ministers to us is that he corrects us. The great benefit of being a Christian is that the Holy Spirit comes to minister to us by telling us that we're wrong about things. And he corrects our mind into the right thinking. God doesn't yell. He gently corrects. 
That's the ministry of the God, and that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what else does the Holy Spirit do? God takes him out, right? And he says, look at the stars. Count them. As many as the stars in the, in, in the heavens, so shall your offspring be. What is he doing? He's teaching Abraham so that Abraham can understand. He's giving the stars as an example of what God is going to do so that Abraham will understand. So what, how does God minister to Abraham? Number one, he corrects Abraham. And number two, he teaches Abraham the truth so that Abraham can understand. That's the ministry of God. To an unbelieving, impatient, take matters into my own, my own hand type of God, what does God do? He ministers to him. And just like he ministers to Abraham, he ministers to us. Do you know that the Holy Spirit ministers to you? I think for some of us, we think church is about me doing things for God. When we think about ministry, we think about what I can do for God. I'm really glad that you're doing things for God, but let's be honest, what you do for God really doesn't matter very much. What matters, right, is Him ministering to you. I'm not discounting your service to God. God bless you for serving God. But more important than you serving God is Him serving you, Him ministering to you. I look upon my life, right? I'm almost 50, and I look upon my life, and I can honestly, I've been in ministry since I was like 27. That was like 20 years. And I'm here to tell you, in the last 20 years, far more than anything that I did for God was what He did for me. What he did for me, how he ministers to me, far outnumbers anything that I've done for his name. The reason I can stand up here and preach is because he ministers to me. Arrogant man, do not think ministry is only about your service to God. That is secondary. The most important thing is him ministering to you. Why do we open up the Bible and read the Word? So that the Holy Spirit can minister to you. Why do we go to small groups and share our faith with others? Because the Holy Spirit ministers to you. Why do we pray? Because the Holy Spirit will minister to you through these things. If you do not do these things, you are not letting Him minister to you. Do you understand? You are only effective as, long, as, much as, as much as the type of ministry that you receive from the Holy Spirit. I love you and you're fabulously talented. You are. Right? But if you don't let the Holy Spirit minister to you, you're not going to be effective. Listen, one of my paralegals, she's a praise leader of our church. Right? She's the whitest girl I know, and she's a praise leader of the of an African American church, right? And she says it's very intimidating. And I said, "Do they bring their own tambourine?" She said, "They bring their own tambourine, right?" It's all like really, you know, African American gospel music. And she's like the most reserved white girl that I know. Said the opera, and she's like worried. And I said to her, "Look, what those people need is a praise leader who walks with the Lord." May your presence, may your relationship with the Lord emanate, flow. May your praise flow from a place where you know the Lord. And that's exactly how every Christian should be. You have to let the Holy Spirit minister to you. You want to be a better husband? Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. You want to be a better parent? Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. 
You want to be a better pastor? Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. If you don't, all you are is it's, it's an empty mouthpiece. God ministered to Abram. What happened in verse 6? Abram believed. And his belief was credited as righteousness. This is one of the most famous Bible passages in all the Bible. Verse 6. He believed the Lord and, and he counted it to him as righteousness. When, Abraham, when God saw Abraham's faith, God says, you're righteous. It's not what Abraham did that made him righteous. It's not, right? It's what Abraham believed that made him righteous. This is different from all the other religions in the world. In fact, all the other human relationships in the world, this is the difference between all the other human relationships. Whether it is your employer relationship, your employer will consider you righteous so long as you perform well. If you don't meet their standards, if you slack off, if your performances are low, if your numbers are low, Sean knows what I'm talking about, you will be on the chopping board. If you're really bad to the people in your life, they will leave you. It's really conditional about your performance, isn't it? All the religions of the world says, do this and you will have salvation. Submit to the Quran, you will have salvation. Practice the four spiritual laws of the Buddha and you will have, you will have nirvana. Do these things and then you will be righteous. No, Bible says, believe and you will be righteous. Isn't that crazy? First of all, the belief that Abraham had, that credit, that made him righteous, is not this empty, cheap kind of grace that many people have. I believe Jesus died for me, therefore I'm right with God. That's not what God is, what Abraham, what, what, that's not the type of faith that Abraham had. The great theologian Walter Brueggemann said, what did Walter Brueggemann say? He says, at that moment, God's word was not a theory about how things would turn out, but, God, but the voice around, around which his life is organized. The type of faith that credited Abraham as righteous was a type of faith, not just this empty, you know, like meaningless type of empty, like word servicey type of faith, but it is an absolute belief that is so real and true that Abraham organized his life, his actions, his decisions based on it. You can say that you have faith and that faith doesn't affect any of your decisions. We can, we can so compartmentize, right? We say we believe and yet our decisions don't comply with what we believe. That's not true faith. True faith is your decision, your life, like, falling in line with what you really believe. Listen, listen to me carefully. The decisions that we make in our everyday life is what we really believe. What we say we believe, that's not what we really believe. What, how you live, the decisions that you make on an everyday life, those decisions tell you what you really believe in. 
Abraham, because he believed in God, his actions followed suit. True faith always bears fruit. That type of faith, that genuine faith, is a faith that, credit, that, that was credited in God's eyes as righteous. What is your faith? Is your faith true faith? A faith in which your decisions are really based on? Or is your faith and your actions separate? The question is, how did Abraham come to that kind of faith? What did Abraham, did Abraham do something to generate that kind of faith inside his heart? No. God gave him that faith. God ministered to him, therefore Abraham had that faith. That kind of miraculous faith was the work of God. God ministered to Abraham. God called Abraham. God delivered Abraham. God reminded Abraham. God did the ministry in Abraham's heart. That's how Abraham came to have genuine faith. Do you understand? Has God given you genuine faith? How do you know? Through the fruit of your lives. Baptism class today, and that's what the baptism class is all about. What is the fruit of your, of your, of your faith? Is there fruit of your faith? Not perfection, but fruit. Right? So Abraham believed in God. And that's not all God did for Abraham. Oh, we're making great time. God not only promised Abraham that he's going to bless him verbally, but God enters into a contract with Abraham. It's crazy. So what did God do? In order to assure Abraham that God's really going to do what he says he's going to do, he enters into a contract. And what kind of contract did Abraham... So before we understand what... So God tells him to bring a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abraham is supposed to cut them in half and lay them on top of one another. What does that mean? To understand the meaning of this, you've got to understand how contract law is fulfilled in, in, this, in this time period, in Abraham's you know, culture. During Abraham's culture, during this time period, when two people go into a contract, they not only agree on the terms, but the way that the contract is ratified is when you and I agree to, to like, like sell a home or something, the way that the contract is ratified is they take a donkey, they kill a donkey, they split the donkey into two. Right? And they put it on, on, on the side of the road like this. Right? Imagine a half piece of donkey on the side of the road. The guts, the blood, right? Imagine. And the two parties, after they do that, they walk between the pieces of the donkey. Donkey piece here, donkey piece there. The two parties walk in between the donkeys. You know why they do that? That is symbolizing. If I break the terms of my contract, I agree that I'm going to be breaking, I agree to be broken into pieces just like this donkey. 
you can kill me. Just like we split this donkey into half, if I don't honor my agreement, I agree that, 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 that I can be broken like this. That's crazy, isn't it? I think if we do that, I don't think we're going to have a housing crisis, right? Like, like, when you go to a mortgage, split an animal. If you don't honor your mortgage commitments, you're going to be like this donkey. I'm going to make my mortgage payments. God says, split these animals in two. And Abraham did. Abraham fell asleep. And in his sleep, he sees a smoking pot and a torch. Smoking pot and torch symbolizes the presence of God. Right? The burning bush and everything. It symbolizes the presence of God. Right? And this presence and, and this presence of God, it says, passed through the pieces of the animals. What is that? What is it God saying? God's saying, if I don't honor my promise to you, Abraham. I promise that I'll be cut into pieces like these animals. God himself did that. Abraham, if I don't make you into a great nation, if I don't bless your offspring, I promise I'm going to be like these pieces. I'm going to destroy myself. What is interesting is usually when contracts are made, two parties, both parties have to walk through the pieces, right? But in the agreement that God made to Abraham, only God walks through the pieces. Abraham doesn't walk through the pieces. What does that mean? It means God's promise to Abraham is a unilateral contract. God is saying, regardless of whether you honor your relationship with me, regardless of whether you succeed in, succeed in your relationship with me, I promise, regardless of your performance, I will give you, I will bless you. That's crazy. Every religion in the world, depends, your salvation depends upon you, what you do. But the promise that God made to Abraham, everything depends upon what God will do. Isn't that crazy? Abraham, I made a promise to you, and I will see through it. If I don't do it, I'll destroy myself from doing it. But this contract that got me with Abraham, you see, it's a foreshadowing of the promise that God made to his people. You see, from the foundation, from the beginning of time and space, God made a covenant with his people. And the covenant of his people is this. I promise to save you. I promise to deliver you. I promise to make you my people. That's God's promise to his people. That's what Ephesians 1 is about. From the foundation of the world, God made a promise to his people. I will forgive you. I will make you my people. Right? And God really did that. How did God do that? He, he fulfilled that promise to his people by sending Jesus Christ who on the cross was not just symbolically broken into, but he was physically, literally, spiritually broken into. So that we can be forgiven, 
so that we can be the promises of so that we can be the people of God. Do you understand? If you are the people of God this morning, if you're a forgiven child of God, and as a forgiven child of God, God is active in your life in terms of Him, him instructing you, in terms of, of, of Him delivering you, it is because Jesus Christ was broken into pieces on the cross. And much like the promises that He made to Abraham, God delivered us from our sins, not because we are worthy. God is blessing Abraham, not because Abraham is worthy, but because God made a promise. He saved you and me, not because we're perfect or worthy, but because he made a promise. Look, who are we? Are we not sinners? And by sinners, as Psalm 32 says, we are transgressors. What does it mean to be a transgressor? It means we're, we, we go against God's law. We're people who naturally go against God's law. You know what, you know, like the prayer that I prayed about my wife, right? I said, Lord, let me be a better husband. You know what he showed me? The, the way I've become a better husband, he, what he showed me yesterday was, look, when you sin against your wife, in terms of coldness, in terms of, you know, of, 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 of carelessness, in terms of, you know, whatever you do, when you're sinning against your wife, you're really sinning against me. When we sin, listen to me carefully, when we sin, we're not sinning just against the person, but ultimately, we're sinning against God. When we sin, the true victim of our sin is not the other person, but God. Right? And you and I know the sin is bad. You and I know, everyone knows in the universe sin is bad. And the best example, everyone knows the sin is bad, is the persona of Donald Trump. Right? Donald Trump, the persona of Donald Trump, according to the liberal media, you see what I'm doing? I'm trying to do both conservative and right? According to the liberal media, what is the persona of Donald Trump? Donald Trump is greedy. He's a liar. He's not loyal. He fires all his friends, by the way, right? He's disloyal. He's a liar. He lusts. Right? He pays women to have sex with him, and he pays them, right? right? He's untrustworthy. He's in it for himself. He's a racist. That's the persona of Donald Trump. And everyone looks at Donald Trump and says, yeah, that guy. And people hate Donald Trump because of his sins. And I think they're right to. And what does that show you? It shows you people hate sin. Even if you're not a believer, people hate sin. That's why they hate Donald Trump. But the difference, but, but people don't know is that the same thing that they hate about Trump they have on the inside. That's what Romans 1 is about. You say Trump is a womanizer and luster, and that's, that may be true. But are we not the same? We may not buy people off for $100,000, but are we not, do, are, do we not lust after women, men? We say he's a liar, he cheated on his taxes. Have we not circumvented our tax, tax? I didn't, but have you not circumvented tax rules? You say he's trying to like, get away with murder. Don't you try to hide your crimes too? People hate sin. It is right to hate sin. It is right to hate the persona of Donald Trump. But know that you have it too. That is where we are. That is who we are. But God killed his son for us anyway. Why? 
Because God promised to bless Abraham's offspring. And when you are his, you're his not because of the person that you are, but you're his because God made a promise to himself. Isn't that great? Isn't that the gospel? Do you believe in this? Do you believe in this? Do you believe that the only way that you became his is because Jesus Christ died for you? And because Jesus Christ died for you, and you are his, and if you are his, will he not deliver you? Will he not give you? Will he not provide for you? Will he not be your shield? Will he not bless you? If you're his in Christ. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? If not, the Holy Spirit needs to minister to you. The way you overcome fear is by believing in the gospel. Once again, the gospel is Christ being broken for you because of the, of the promises of God. And because he was broken in half for you, he will be your shield, your great reward, your protector, your provider, your leader, your shepherd. When you believe in the gospel, these things become sure and true in your heart. And the, when these things become sure and true in your heart, you can overcome any fear. Do you believe it? If not, let the Holy Spirit minister to you so that you will believe it. Let us pray.